Hi, y'all. This is Carrie D. from Coffee with Carrie. It's such a privilege to do this adventure we call homeschooling with you. Thank you for tuning in again and walking this homeschooling journey with us. If you're new to us, you can find us on Instagram at Coffee with Carrie Consultant or at our website, coffeewithcarrie.org. It's our prayer that our website, our homeschooling consulting services, and our podcast will help you homeschool one step at a time, one day at a time, and one cup of coffee at a time. Pour yourself a little cup of coffee, put your feet up, and take a little coffee break with me. Today, we're going to be talking about how to make history come alive. As a kid, I remember sitting in social studies class, desperately trying to remember all of the dates and names for our weekly Friday quiz. I hated it. For the life of me, I just couldn't keep things straight. I couldn't remember the date, but I would put the wrong person or the event with it. Or I would remember the person, but switch up the numbers in the year. And since I had no concept of history and time, (laughs) there really wasn't much difference for me between 1492 and 1942. It was all just a very long, long time ago with a bunch of really dead people. Jingles and songs like In 1492, Columbus Sailed the Ocean Blue, and those awesome schoolhouse rock Saturday morning videos about history, they were the things that really helped me remember dates, events, states and capitals, and the presidents. But I didn't understand the words behind the songs or those mnemonic. I just really hated history, and I didn't see the point in learning it. But now, as an adult, a mom, and a homeschooling mom, I understand the importance of learning and understanding history and his story. And I really understand the expression, those who do not learn history are doomed to repeat it. I mean, just look at our world today. People who don't understand the true roots of socialism and its success rate, or shall I say, um, lack of success, when implemented in other parts of the world, are calling for the American Republic to become a socialist nation. And people who don't understand the history of our country and its founding documents don't really understand the true meaning of democracy and why America is not a democratic country, but a democratic republic. When you see true democracy and 100% majority rule in action, you find countries in turmoil, ruled by the mob and spiraling into anarchy. When you don't know your Bible and Bible history and the history of God's people, you don't really understand the conflict in the Middle East. Sorry, y'all, I could just go on and on, but you get my point. And this podcast isn't about politics or political parties or social issues. It's about teaching and learning history in a way that makes it come alive. My point, however, is that when you know your history, and not the history that's been revised or Twitter history that's been edited for little sound bites, but true, accurate history then it comes alive. It jumps off the page and onto your TV screen. It makes current matters even more relevant. You see the connections. You see and understand the cause and effects vibrating like ripple effects throughout the centuries. Studying history gives you a purpose too. It ignites a fire in your soul to be a voice for a cause. Knowing history, how things happen and why, it helps you become a better listener. Not every discussion needs to be a debate. Learning about history helps our children see the pros and the cons, both sides of a story, the good, the bad, and the ugly truth of humankind's history. It's not always about being right, but about understanding how people's experiences are different. 
therefore their perspectives might be a bit different. It doesn't change the facts of history and the truth, but it helps train students on how to have difficult discussions and how to share differing opinions in a civil and loving way. Your living room becomes a training ground for questions and thoughtful ideas and respectful discussions. It's a safe place to learn about history, to talk about the cause and effects, to discuss how things could have been done differently in the past, or how we can move forward knowing what we know now. Studying history really helps you see what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes and how he was right, and he said it several times. There is really nothing new under the sun. Sometimes I watch the news and I think to myself, yep, been there, done that. How'd that go for you when you tried it back in 1500s? But the only way we can truly do God's kingdom work here and now is to truly understand what came before us, to really know our history, and to truly know His story. And yes, I do believe God's Word is also a historical document and a primary resource that can be used as your family's history, quote-unquote, textbook. It's truth. It's founded on truth. And based on archaeology and hundreds of prophecies that have already come true, it's a reliable text for the study of history in your home. Okay, so let's get to the nitty-gritty of how to teach history in your homeschooling so that it makes it relevant and in a way that makes it come alive. All right, so let's get one thing straight from the onset. I am not a Pinterest kind of a homeschooling mom. As much as I love hands-on learning, almost every history project I tried to do was an epic fail. However, I kept trying them because my daughter loved arts and crafts of all kinds, and I saved them and shared them with her grandparents because my daughter was so proud of them. Most of these projects over the years have looked nothing like the Pinterest project that was on the internet, but hey, it's the process over the project, right? Well, I tell you this so that you don't feel guilty if you're not a Pinterest or an arts arts and crafts kind of mom either. If you don't do tons of hands-on projects in history, that's okay if it's not your style. I also tell you this, so if you do do hands-on projects, don't feel guilty if they look nothing like the Pinterest or the website where you found them. One of the best ways to organize your year is to learn history together as a family. From the beginning, we decided our family would learn history in chronological order. So we started literally in the beginning with Genesis 1-1, and we worked our way all the way to modern times. So, We wanted to really dig into the different time periods. We didn't try to cram ancient history to modern times in one year. Like the classical method, we broke up our history studies into a four-year cycle. So the first year, we studied ancient history, which means in the first year we learned from creation to Christ. Then in our second year of homeschooling, we picked up from there and we studied from the fall of the Roman Empire through the Middle Ages to the Age of Exploration. Then our third year of homeschooling, we focused on U.S. and world history from the colonies to the Industrial Revolution. And then the fourth year, we studied U.S. and world history again, but from the 1900s to the current times. So it usually took us about four years to learn about everything from the beginning of time to current time. Then, just like in the classical approach, we would start the cycle all over again. 
So we would start back at the beginning and learn from creation to Christ. Then the next year, from the Middle Ages to the Age of Exploration. Then the next year, U.S. World History from the 1600s to the 1900s. And then the next year, U.S. World History from the 1900s to now. The best part about starting the cycle all over again is that your kids are now older and ready for harder ideas and concepts. They're ready for more challenging assignments and readings and for more mature discussions. The first time we cycled through, we focused on the facts, the dates, the people, the events, the who, what, when, and where. My kids were younger, so we read easier chapter books during read-aloud time. We read a lot of picture books about the different time periods and events and the people in them. We sang lots of songs and fun jingles to help us memorize those important dates and peoples and events. This was when we tried to do some of those messy hands-on projects, like, yes, we tried to mummify a shrimp. We made shields out of cardboard when we were learning about nights, and we made tons of butter and homemade bread like the pioneers did. But because we had all year to study one time period, we could really dig deep, take our time, read lots of great books, go on lots of great field trips, and do lots of fun projects, even if some of them turned out to be an epic fail. When we would start over and then begin the cycle again, let's say in ancient history, we still learned about the Egyptian empire, but we read different and more challenging books. Since we already knew a lot of the facts about this time period, we could then focus more on the why things happened, the cause and effects of the events. Our writing assignments were more in-depth. They did more research projects the second time around. The second time around, the King Tut exhibit was visiting our local science center, so we got to go visit and see that. That field trip wasn't available the first time we studied ancient history. We still played board games, but now we could play some of the more in-depth and complicated ancient Egyptian games. One of our projects was trying to make makeup like the ancient Egyptian ladies did. When my daughter found out that the upper-class ladies put lard on their head and let it melt in order to make their hair shiny, she decided at that point we had learned enough about Egyptian cosmetology. The first time around, we didn't get to spend any time learning about ancient Japan. We focused so much on ancient China, because that was an obsession of my daughter, we actually just skipped Japan the first time. So I figured we could cover it the next time around, which we did. So the second time around, when we cycled back through, we covered some of the same ancient empires, but we spent less time on them, so we could really dig into the empires we had skipped the first time. And this was true for each time period. When we did the Middle Ages to the Age of Exploration, the kids were older, so we read harder and more challenging historical fictions and biographies the second time. Again, their writing assignments were longer and more in-depth the second time around. I know families who were covering this time period this past year when COVID hit. They had some really great discussions with their older kids about the similarities and differences of the bubonic plague and COVID-19. Again, my kids remembered a lot of the facts we had learned about this time period the first time we covered it, so we got to focus more on the whys and the cause and effects. So in our homeschooling, after eight years, the kids learned about from the beginning of mankind to modern history in depth, hitting on different events 
each time they studied a particular time period. By the time my daughter graduated from high school, she had cycled through history three times. When she got to ancient history the third time, she was in high school. So she was reading things like the Iliad and the Odyssey, Dante's Inferno, Shakespeare's Julius Caesar, and she learned about great thinkers like Aristotle and Socrates, and then studied logic and philosophy too. When she did the Middle Ages and the Age of Exploration, she dug deep into church history and church thinkers the third time around. There's a huge advantage to studying history in chronological order, and two, cycling back when the kids are older and more mature, so you can move from the facts to the how and the why. So each summer, I would pick which historical time period we will focus on that school year. And I tried as best I could to plan our literature list, our read-alouds, the music and art we would study, and even sometimes our science studies around the historical time period I picked. It really helped make connections to learn about a time period through the eyes of someone else who experienced it. We all know how much you can learn about the Western frontier and the pioneers by reading Laura Ingle Wilder's The Little House series. Then, when you learn about the art and the music of that time period, it help adds another dimension. African spirituals make so much more sense when you learn them from the context of American slavery. And the Jazz Age and the Harlem Renaissance make more sense when you learn about them in the context of the early 1900s in America. Okay, so let's say you don't want to learn history in chronological order. You don't have to. You can just pick some historical topic that you really want to dig into that year. This coming year is an election year. You can spend the whole year learning about the election process in our electoral college. Instead of digging deep into the 13 colonies, you can dig deep into the documents that shaped our nation and what made our election process possible. My son loved the musical Hamilton. But when we studied the Declaration of Independence, the Constitutional Convention, and all the things that came before and after that, then he really understood the songs and the characters in Hamilton. And with so much going on with COVID-19 and civil unrest, as you're digging deep into our founding documents, you learn about the Bill of Rights and what free speech and freedom to assemble really means. These are all things that you can discuss if you just focus in on one particular topic for the year. All right, you could spend an entire year learning about California history, and you don't have to be in fourth grade to do it. And if you learn California history together as a family, while your little ones are learning the basics about the gold rush and missions and the native peoples and the building of the railroad here in California, your older students can really dig into the immigration policies in California, reservation laws, and how they're different than California law, environmental issues, and laws that California residents have to deal with. It just goes on and on. Everyone is learning about the gold rush and the building of the railroad, but the older ones are focusing more on the lasting causes and effects of that, while the little ones are focusing more on the facts. And you don't have to do history. You can focus on geography or a social studies topic. I did a whole podcast called Passport to Learning on how you can spend the whole year learning about countries and cultures around the world while learning map skills. If there's a social issue that's near and dear to your heart, there's a good chance it's going to fit into the social studies, quote unquote, curriculum scope and sequence. 
Most of your environmental issues like climate change are found in science and social studies textbooks. The idea is to just pick a historical topic or an event or a historical time period that you would like to focus on for the year and then spend the entire year learning about it as a family. Once you decide what your topic of study will be for the year, then you start collecting books and games and movies and documentaries and TV series. I mean, hello, Audible and Netflix, they're my best friends. Start making lists of local museums for field trips and virtual field trips for places you can't travel to and art and music that's related to the time period. The idea is to immerse you and your family into that time period or topic that you're studying. Trust me, you could spend an entire year learning about the Western movement and the pioneers. Literally, an entire year. And since you homeschool, you have more time to dig deep. So why rush and spend only two weeks or one chapter on this time period? Do you know how many seasons of Little House on the Prairie you can watch? And how many Laura Ingle Wilder books you can get through? And how many pounds of homemade butter you can make? The idea is to slow down and take your time learning history. And you get way more done too when you learn it as a family. Now that you have your time period or historical topic you want to study, and you've gathered a bunch of books and games and materials, well, what do you do next? You're ready to make history come alive. Join us for part two, where I'll share exactly how to use timelines, whether they're homemade or store-bought, history notebooks and copywork, read aloud and movie time, map work and games, and field trips and family vacations to make teaching history super easy and learning history super fun. Thank you for hanging out with us and for joining us for this little coffee break. If this is your first time joining us, you can find us at our website, coffeewithcarry.org. We also have daily devotions and homeschooling tips at our Instagram account, Coffee with Carrie Consultant. Don't forget to check out our website for links to resources mentioned in this podcast. If you heard something you like, then share our podcast or our Instagram and website with a friend who might need a little encouragement, or share it with a friend who might be thinking of homeschooling. Don't forget to join us next week for part two when we continue this podcast and share the six super easy, super fun, and super awesome ways to make history come alive. We're praying for you. Stay healthy. God bless. And see you next time.